Hi, it's Mark Wasserman. Welcome to the Ska Boom podcast, which is the audio companion to my book, Ska Boom, an American Ska and Reggae Oral History. The goal of this podcast is to talk about Ska, with an emphasis on American Ska history and the bands, musicians, and people who have helped to create and document a uniquely American version of Ska and Reggae that spans from the late 70s until today. I'm heading out to Los Angeles this week to take part in Top Ranking, the on-club and birth of the L.A. Ska Boom at the Grammy Museum on Saturday, October 23rd, which celebrates the 40th anniversary of the club and the two bands, the Box Boys, whose song Busy Boy is the intro music for this episode, and the Untouchables, who were responsible for giving rise to the L.A. Ska scene and helping to create a uniquely American version of Ska. panel for the event will include a who's who of L.A. Ska royalty, including Howard Parr, who created the On Club and is the author of Top Ranking, a ska noir novel about his first year of running the club, Jerry Miller and Chuck Askernis of The Untouchables, Greg Souders and Ivan Wong of The Box Boys, Norwood Fisher of Fishbone, Greg Lee of Hepcat, and Lawrence Fishburne, who went to the On Club as a teen in the early 80s. In addition, both bands are performing, and DJ Chuck Wren of Jump Up Records will be spinning the best of American ska. The Box Boys and the Untouchables were formed by like-minded young musicians, influenced by Jamaican reggae and two-tone from the UK, as well as American soul and punk. They combined music, fashion, and political and social commentary into a heady and intoxicating mix of ska, which took L.A. by storm. Both bands existed long before the advent of the internet and smartphones, so there is very little visual or written evidence of the essential role they played in creating an American ska subculture that continues to thrive today. My hope is that my book and this event will finally get these musicians and bands the respect they truly deserve for laying the groundwork for all that would come later. I think it's probably safe to say that most of you have never heard of the Box Boys. They formed in the late 70s as punk, hardcore, and metal were all the rage across L.A., and being a ska band made them stand out. We got a girl singer because we knew her. She wanted to be a punk rock singer. We weren't trying to be different. We just, that's who we knew who sang. And and we we formed this little sort of punky reggae ska thing. And we really weren't very good, but we were unique. We just we just consumed every record like that. If the specials came to town, we went to see them. If Madness came, if the selector came, sometimes we would open up for them, you know, because word got around. It was a very short list of, like you know, ska bands anywhere, let alone in Los Angeles. That's Greg Souders, the band's drummer, who later went on to join the soul country band The Long Riders. Why did they choose the name The Box Boys, you may ask? In Los Angeles and New York, punk was always a little bit more of a social thing and a kind of an art thing than a political thing like it was in England. But, you know, we were so into English music and punk rock that we liked that whole notion of uh, kind of political and blue collar and sort of, you know, they were on the dole and all those British guys. So we thought the Box Boys represented a really sort of proletariat average blue collar job that anybody had, you know, kind of like being a delivery guy or, uh, you know, a construction, it was the Box Boys. The Box Boys story is important because they were one of the first American bands dedicated to playing ska 
and the first ska band from L.A. The shows they played and the scene they created quickly became an epicenter for a growing mod ska scene that exploded in 1982 and 1983. The thing about the Box Boys is, I mean, first of all, they to me are like absolutely crucial to all of the ska stuff in America. I mean, while I was setting things up, I'd already seen them play. So I talked to them, you know, even before we'd opened about playing. And, you know, look, ultimately me and most of them became lifelong friends. You know, we don't see each other all the time, but we, you know, we've, we've always been friends from then. And at the time, it also made me even more confident that other bands would form because they'd formed pretty quick, just like the idea of the club formed pretty quick. So I'm like, okay, you know, that's all I needed. You know what I mean? I'm like, okay, right. they formed some of the other bands will form. It's going to happen. I, I just was so certain of it. I, I know it might sound, you know, odd when you look back on it, but in the moment I had no doubts whatsoever. I had zero doubts this was going to go. That's Howard Parr. He was a young expat Englishman when he landed in L.A. in the late 70s for what was supposed to be a three-month holiday. While in L.A., he came across a copy of the NME with the specials on the cover and quickly picked up a copy of Message to You, Rudy. The song changed Parr's life, inspiring him to open the On Club in the Silver Lake section of L.A. Parr is responsible for helping to create the L.A. ska scene when he booked the Box Boys, then the only ska band in L.A., to play the club. The original lineup of the band featured a vocalist who later went on to found the heavy metal band Bitch, which later drew the ire of Tipper Gore and the Parents Music Resource Center. Before she was Betsy Bitch, she was Betsy Weiss, a somewhat reluctant rude girl singer in the Box Boys. And as the word got out about L.A.'s first ska band, proto-mods, scooter enthusiasts, and Rudy's began showing up, making the On Club the in-place to be in L.A. Because to me, the On Club was like the cavern. It was just, you know, if you went to the On Club, you had three things you could do at the On Club. You'd go to the On Club, you'd go to the corner liquor store, or you could possibly get shot in, in that order. You know, there, there were many times Greg and I were standing on the corner and you, you'd hear, you know, it's not constant, but like, bang, bang, and I go, what the heck? You know, it was, it was an outlier, if, if that's the right word. It, it, there, was, there was, you had to make a point to go there. The strip, you could go up and down the strip, no big deal, you know. Um, you could go to Chinatown, and if you didn't like the band, you'd get something to eat. And the On Club, Oriental Nights. You were, it was, it, you had to go there to, to see it. And you know, and Howard ran it again to me, like, I would think of like, I think it would, it took, it would only take an Englishman or a gangster to run it, you know, because that's the kind of place that it was, you know, because it was, you know, you had to have that cool kind of like, you know, train spotting or, I always felt it was like more of an English thing than an L.A. thing. Maybe it's because I romanticized it, you know, like in the Cavern Club and the Beatles and when I was in England in 76. But it, but it had that vibe. And I don't think you could have you couldn't have created that type of vibe anywhere else in, in the city of L.A. I don't think you could have. That's Ivan Wong, the bassist for the Box Boys. After the band made their name at the On Club, they started selling out shows all over L.A. And as they did so... They were initially surprised that the burgeoning mod ska scene in L.A. embraced them, despite the fact that they did not look like a two-tone era ska band. So we, we started following the, the Box Boys. Uh, 
we we started following them and uh we liked their sound um and we got to know the band and uh but then they split up pretty quickly i think it must have been 80 maybe 81 early 81 they or maybe late 80 i think it was that they split up and it kind of left a void in live music for us we were really starting to really dig the the ska and uh so there was not really a local ska band at all, none, none at all, I should say. They and the, the Box Boys had like a cool couple cool tunes that were really I thought really good. We would go and check them out and uh, dance and stuff. But once they they uh, disbanded, we figured, man, we got to do something to create something for the kids to dance to. That's the Untouchable singer Chuck Askernies. Members of the Untouchables were fans and credit the Box Boys for inspiring them to start their own band. There are even rumors that an underage Gwen Stefani was seen at Box Boys shows around L.A. You know, that was kind of the model for us, a female lead singer and kind of a ska, punky pop thing. But, um, you know, the difference between us and something like that was you just, at some point, you have to have great songs. We had more of a scene than great songs, you know. Fairly quickly, the Box Boys got a manager named Perry Watts Russell, who also happened to manage the synth-pop band Berlin. Under his guidance, they recorded some of their songs. One of those songs was American Masquerade, with its compelling chorus, Don't Ever Think You've Got It Made in This American Masquerade.
song was released as a 45 that got fairly regular airplay from Rodney Bingenheimer on L.A. radio station K-Rock. It also ended up on the soundtrack of a 1980 horror movie called Fade to Black. The filmmaker had either heard the song on K-Rock or seen the band at the On Club and liked it. Twinkle, twinkle, movie star. Eric knows just where you are. Try to run, try to hide. You won't get out of this alive. Dennis Christopher in Fade to Black. Rated R. Fade to Black now playing at a theater near you. Fade to Black starred Dennis Christopher and featured Mickey Rourke in a minor role. The plot followed a shy and lonely cinephile who embarks on a killing spree while impersonating classic film characters. Unfortunately, the movie didn't do well at the box office, but Roger Ebert did give it three stars. Sadly, the song placement did not improve the band's fortunes. Though the band's manager, Perry Watts Russell, had succeeded in getting Berlin signed, the goal of getting the Box Boys signed to a major label deal remained more challenging. Rather than stick with their ska sound, they made lineup changes that resulted in most of the original members leaving the band. The new lineup embraced a synth-pop sound, similar to Berlin, that alienated their mod ska fans. As the Box Boys abandoned ska, the Untouchables came along and soon became what the growing mod scene in L.A. considered their house band. They had black and white members, they had horns, they rode scooters, and they had style. But the Box Boys were the first, and without them, who knows how the L.A. ska scene would have developed. I, I can only speak to Los Angeles with certitude, but my sense is they're probably the, if not the first, about the first American band, and they were certainly the first band in Los Angeles. And they were, the, you know, they were a, a big inspiration to other people to form bands, I think, you know. And there, there would be no on club without two tone, you know, um, in truth. It certainly wouldn't, whatever club I did, it wouldn't have been like. It wouldn't have been the same, you know. I mean, you could have done a retro club with old music and then it would just be living in the past. The specials gave everything a social, political, you know, inclusive setting that inspired everything that came afterwards. So, you know, I don't want to negate that critical aspect, but someone has to do it in each outpost. And, you know, in this outpost, the Box Boys were first. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Ska Boom Stories. I will be in L.A. this weekend for Top Ranking, the On Club and Birth of the L.A. Ska Boom at the Grammy Museum on Saturday, October 23rd. Everything kicks off at 2 p.m. Both Howard Parr and I will also be selling and signing copies of our books. Tickets are available through the Grammy Museum website. Thanks for listening and take care.